All right, well, thank you, Pastor Adam. And I am honored to have this opportunity to open God's word uh, today. So before we get started, I know Pastor Adam just prayed, but let me pray as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're just so amazed by who you are, that you are holy, righteous, perfect, good, yet at the same time, you justify the ungodly. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes, you would open our hearts, that you would root out sin that remains there, hardness of heart that remains, and that you would change us powerfully. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Ashley Rovell, he was a, a British man, still is a British man to this day, uh, and in the early 2000s, he had this crazy idea. It started at a pub, which a lot of crazy ideas usually start at. So what he and his friends were kind of at the pub, just sitting around, talking, joking about, and they said, hey, you know what would be great? If we went to America and just like sold all of our stuff and put everything on one color at the roulette table. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be crazy? And everyone said, yeah, that would be crazy. But Ashley Revel said, mm, that's the kind of crazy I like. He said, that's something that I'll do. So over the uh, course of uh, several months, he started selling all of his possessions. I mean, he sold his car, he was single at the time, but sold his car, sold his watches, um, all of his clothes, I mean, everything that he had, he sold. Uh, he ended up raising about $135,000. He went to Las Vegas, had a rented tuxedo, got, you know, exchanged his money for chips, went to the roulette table. He had a negotiation beforehand that they would allow him to do this and make this big bet, and it was kind of being recorded. His family was there, and he walks up to the table. They said, are you sure that you want to do this? You aren't being compelled by any, in any way? And he said, yes, and he puts all of the chips up. He still hasn't decided which one he's gonna do. Is he gonna do red? Is he gonna do black? He had a poll in the UK. I think they said red. He said, okay, I'll do it on red. Goes around, goes around, goes around, bounce, 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 bounce. And it's on the other side of the table, so you can't quite see it. He hits red, red seven. He doubles his money. He's just overjoyed, and I mean, the relief and celebration is going all about. That's a pretty crazy story. I mean, that's just kind of youthful exuberance and risk-taking uh, that's not to be commended. <laughs> um, I mean, if you are going to put everything on the line, don't you want to have some confidence that what you're putting it on is the right thing? That it's not just based on a 50-50 chance? I want something much more sure and better than that. What could be more important in your life savings? Well, your very life, where you will spend eternity. And thankfully, God does not want us to be confused about how we are to attain eternal life. Instead, he shows us in this parable 
that we will soon read. He shows us in this parable two people, and these two people place their hope for salvation in two very different things, and one of them goes broke. They lose it all. Let's get into the passage. Turn to your Bibles in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. We are reading in the English Standard Version, but any other version will read similarly. This is an old church thing that I hear preachers do sometimes. When you have it, you can say amen. amen. All right. Get a little call and response. There we go. All right, so here's the passage. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So, to give a little context of what's happening here, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem where he knows he will be apprehended, falsely accused, and crucified. It was for this purpose that the eternal Son of God came to earth and the time is now drawing near for that to happen. With the cross ever in the background of this story, we come to a parable that addresses salvation. There were some in the crowd who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So he told them this parable. The parable shows, that, that those, that shows us that those banking upon self-righteousness will have insufficient funds on judgment day. So we want to look at the characteristics and fate of those who put confidence in themselves and those who depend upon God for mercy. So the first person we'll look at, the first, uh, yeah, the first person we'll look at is a self-righteous person. And what we want to look at are what are the symptoms of self-righteousness? What can we learn about these symptoms so that we don't end up uh, with the same fate that this Pharisee did? So the first symptom of self-righteousness is looking down on others, looking on others with contempt. We see that in verse 11. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. So the thing with looking down on others and self-righteousness in general, it can be subtle and feel justifiable. What's interesting and frankly is easy to miss is that he does credit his upright moral behavior to God. I missed this several times as I was reading this. I always kind of thought of it uh, cynically that, God, I thank you, but he's not really giving him credit. No, he, he actually is giving God the credit for the man that he is, that he is walking uprightly. He's not saying that he achieved it in his own strength, but by God's working. 
At the same time, you can hear pride in that verse. While he gives credit to God, his focus on the morality of those around him leads him to trust that his morality is what would make him acceptable to God. Jesus teaches that we are not justified by our morality, even if we thank God for making us that way. We live in a society that aggressively pushes an agenda to normalize, legitimize, and even celebrate sin. We are being told to get with the program and call what is sin right and good. But in fighting the culture war, have we started to despise and look down on those who practice such sins? Maybe our prayer today would go something like this. I thank you, God, that I'm not LBGT, an abortionist, a racist police officer, an ISIS fighter, or a hypocrite. Or or thank God I'm not like the other kids who are experimenting with drugs and having premarital sex. While that is good, honestly, when you look at your life, do you have the thought, even for a moment, that God accepts you because you're not like other people? Because you're not like those people? Friend, that's not how it works. He does not accept you based on your righteousness. Friend, we can call sin, sin without looking down on particular sinners. As Pastor Adam said last week, are we surprised when non-Christians act in a non-Christian way? They're just doing what they would naturally do. The only difference between them and us is that Christ has opened our eyes and is cleaning us up. Just like there was hope for us, there is hope for them. We should mourn for non-Christians, praying that God would open their eyes, that they would turn away from self-reliance and sin and turn to God Almighty who saves the ungodly. I pray that like Jesus, our church family would be known as friends of all kinds of sinners. Not in a way that condones sin, but in one that welcomes people in to meet Jesus who died for sinners. Not the righteous, not the righteous, but sinners Jesus came to save. The next symptom, or the the next thing um, in uh, looking down on others is that honestly, it's a sinful distraction. Let's turn to Luke 13, verses one through five. And here's what it says. There were some present at that very time who told him, speaking to Jesus, about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Friends, we are all sinners and we all stand to face the same fate. We all will face God in judgment and unless you repent, you will likewise perish. 
knowing that we should make sure that we are repenting not just once, but continually. The Pharisee said he's thankful that he wasn't like other men, including this tax collector. Well, the irony is that he should have been more like the tax collector. He was so focused on other sin that he was blind to his own need for mercy. The second symptom of self-righteousness is boasting of your own deeds. We see that in verse 12. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. The Pharisees' deeds went far beyond what the Old Testament requires. Fasting was only required once a year. He's doing it twice a week. That's like a hundred times more fast than what was required. Also, a tithe of every single thing you got was not what was required. So this man is clearly very devout. He takes God and his word seriously. He wants to please him. He wants to honor him. But in doing that, he boasts of his own deeds. Do you somewhat relate to this man? Do you feel that God should accept you into heaven based upon the good life that you've lived? Maybe like this man, you're a very devout church member who is involved in multiple ministries. Or maybe you lead a small group or has almost all of the Awana badges. You don't do these things to be seen, but you think that these things help show why God will accept you. Countless people are far bigger sinners than you. People doing some really, really bad stuff. And compared to them, your goodness is only magnified even more. I've heard many people say, in, in talking, with, uh, talking with people and asking them, okay, well, what makes you um, acceptable to God? Why do you think you would get into heaven? And how, how many people have heard this? Because I'm basically a good person. I haven't killed anybody. I'm not a murderer. And I try to do right by people. Friends, that's the same sort of thing that this Pharisee was talking about. The Pharisee viewed himself more highly than he should have. He was not seeing his situation rightly. I guarantee you that none of us are good enough to earn our way into heaven. And that's exactly what this Pharisee found out. The next person and the next thing that we want to look at is a description of dependence. We moved away from the Pharisee, and now we're looking at the tax collector. In the description of dependence, we've got one thing from this passage really that shows the dependence of this person, and that's recognizing the need for God to be merciful. We see that in verse 13, but the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Of course this tax collector needed mercy. Tax collectors were traitors and extortioners of their own people. It would be like ISIS taking over the U.S. 
And then some of our neighbors are not only um, allowing this to happen, they agree to work with them to try to not only get taxes, but to get money over and above taxes, to extort, to cheat, to enrich themselves seeing this opportunity. They were marked by greed and ambition and had no problem exploiting their fellow Jews to do so. Unlike the Pharisee, he had no delusions of his own fitness and acceptability before the Lord. Unlike the Pharisee, everything describing this man shows contrition and humility. He stands far off. He keeps his eyes on the floor and beats his chest in sorrow. His only hope was that the holy and righteous judge of the universe would be merciful. This man saw himself and his predicament accurately and knew he only had one hope. The truth is, friends, we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. While you may think you're doing okay in comparison to the sinners around you that you look down upon, you come up woefully short in comparison to God's standard. In God's eyes, none of us have any goodness to bring to the table. We are sinners. The only thing that we bring to the table is need. The tax collector left justified and not the Pharisee. I mean, this would be a rather stunning role reversal. The notorious tax collector, the cheat, was declared righteous and not the pious Pharisee. Though he worked hard in his life to follow God's commands, by depending upon his righteousness, the Pharisee was found lacking. By trying to smuggle in any merit of our own, we abandon the grace of God. As it says in Galatians 2.21, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Friends, if there was any other way that God could have accepted us, Christ would not have needed to die. That would have been a needless waste. There was no other way. We see Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, if, there, if there's another way, Lord, take this cup from me, but not my will, but your will be done. That was the only way. So if we are somehow even depending just a little bit on what we bring to the table, then Christ would have died needlessly. Friends, we have an antidote to the self-righteousness that honestly afflicts all of us even to some degree, if you're honest. The antidote for self-righteousness is the cross. The cross reminds us that we were so bad that the only way we could be forgiven is that the perfect eternal son of God had to be killed taking God's wrath in our place. The cross also reminds us of how great and merciful our God is. It is by his empowering that we can turn away from our old lifestyle of following our sinful desires. If we are to boast, we are to boast only in him and not simply in the, the work that he's done in our life, but to boast about him and his power to save. That we don't start looking at ourselves then and looking at our works and saying, yes, well, now I'm okay. Now I've, you've kind of brought me up. You've got me up on my training wheels. Now I got it from here, Dad. No, 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 no. Instead, we are only to look to him. 
Brothers and sisters, let's repent of any self-righteousness residing in our hearts. Let's recognize that we are susceptible to it and that it is deplorable. Remember that he opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Let's thank God for his forgiveness and his strength to fight against self-righteousness. Friends, if you don't currently trust and follow Jesus, do so today. He saves sinners of all sorts, even the self-righteous. Come to him, trust in him, believe in him, follow his commands. You are not too bad to be saved by God, but you are far too bad to save yourself. Without money, without money, Come to Jesus Christ to buy. Not the righteous, not the righteous, sinners, Jesus came to save. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word always lays us bare. It reveals all of the sin in our hearts it shows us that we are not nearly as good as we thought. As a matter of fact, we are much worse than we thought. But your word also shows us that you are much more gracious, merciful, great, and loving than we could ever imagine. Lord, help us to put it all on you. Put all of our hope in you justifying the ungodly through the work of Jesus Christ. Lord, help that to be our song. Help that to be the thing that's on repeat in the iPod of our hearts, that we will remember your sacrifice and humbly look to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.